All right. Well, let's do this. Let's take our Bibles this evening and let's dive right into it in Galatians chapter 5, okay? Galatians chapter 5 is where we will be. Galatians chapter 5 this evening as we're continuing study through this book together on Wednesday evenings, all right? And it's been about a month since we looked at it together. And so uh, we need to uh, be reminded of the overall uh, context, the overall view of this little book of the Bible, all right? So let me remind you quickly what this book is, is all about, all right? Remember, in this letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's addressing churches in the region of Galatia, all right? So there's many churches, multiple, not just one, multiple churches, therefore multiple believers, multiple Christians. But he's writing to them for this main reason, for this main purpose. Uh, there are false teachers called Judaizers who begun to creep into these churches in this region and creep into these churches and begin to promote and preach another gospel, as Paul said it in Galatians 1.6, uh, but began teaching another gospel, which was a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was a false gospel of adding rituals and rules in order to be saved. Listen, the Bible does not teach that whatsoever. And so Paul lovingly, yet very passionately, picks up his pen and declares and defends the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He defends that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, Galatians 2, 16. So that's what he's doing. So never forget it, all right? Never forget that true salvation is God's free gift to us, given by grace, accepted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this book of the Bible, this little book of Galatians, it should solidify that fact and that truth in your heart and mind and settle that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ and Him alone plus nothing minus nothing. It should settle it forever. That's what Paul's doing this little book of the Bible, all right? So let's continue on in our study in this book together. And the last time we were in Galatians chapter number 5, began a message there. We never finished it, and so we'll finish it this evening. But uh, we took this title from this text we're going to read in just a moment. We took this title, Hindrances to Our Race, all right? Hindrances to Our Race. Galatians chapter 5, and look at verse number 7 with me. We'll go down through verse uh, 15 together, all right? Galatians 5. Verse number 7, the Bible says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Not, uh, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this little book of the Bible, and I pray that you would help us to understand it tonight, that you take these words, take these principles we find, and apply them to our life. Open our hearts, open our minds, 
As the psalmist said, open thou mine eyes, may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight. Help me to teach the scriptures, to preach the scriptures, because I know, I know without you I can do nothing. We love you. Thank what you're doing, what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So look at this again with me in verse number seven, how Paul starts off this section of, of Galatians. All right. Verse number seven again. Look at it with me. He says this. Ye did run well. Ye did run well. Say it with me. Ye did run well. All right. All 17 of you did it. The rest of you do it too. All right. Ye did run well. All right. He didn't say you are running well. He said you did run well. You were running well. You were doing really good. You were running well. You did run well. Now, as he was saying this phrase here, I believe he is comparing our race as believers with a physical race, which, by the way, the Galatians will be very familiar with because understand during this time, sports was a huge thing. It was a big part of their lives. Sports during this time was a big part of the culture. And again, it doesn't seem like much has changed in 2,000 years, seeing that sports is a big thing in our culture as well. Go dogs. But uh, I got two amens. All right. I got two Georgia Bulldog fans in the house tonight. Okay. Anyway. All right. But, but the biggest sporting event that the Galatians will be aware of would not be the college football national championship. All right. But what they'd be very well familiar with in all the Greek world this time will look forward to was this, the Greek games. Or they become to known as the Olympic games. Now, we, we saw this last time, just kind of giving an overview again about this. But one historian noted that the ancient Greek Olympics started as early as 776 B.C. And it was from this ancient event that sparked the ideas and inspirations for the modern games that we know as the Olympics that happen, of course, every four years. But originally, these games were considered to honor and respect the false god, Zeus. But because the idea was to honor him, that meant that the games were created to test the strength, agility, and skills of the participants to see just how strong and how fierce they really were. And to find this out, they would have to compete against each other in a multitude of games, being of some being wrestling, chariot racing, boxing, a discus throw, javelin throw, horse racing, many others, but of course, running, all right? So the Galatians would have been very familiar with the Olympic Games, and Paul knew this all too well. So Paul, Paul, he appealed to their common sports knowledge and used the sport of running as an illustration in this moment to drive home, to hit home this point, which, by the way, he was commonly did use sport analogy to drive home a point. But he used this uh, uh, analogy as an illustration to prove the point of his applications. And one of the applications that we can see in our text, as I see from these portion, this portion of Scripture and from these verses, uh, one application that I can see is this one. Who is hindering your race? Uh, who is hindering your walk? What is slowing you down? What is killing your motivation to run the race, again, ye did run well. What's stopping you now? What's slowing you down now? What is hindering you in your run and in your race? Though there are several things that could hinder us as individuals, as, as believers, in this 21st century in which we live, there's many things that can hinder us. I want to consider a few hindrances 
uh, uh, that the, the Galatians were facing, as we see from our text, and then take them and try to apply them to our life today, all right? So, if you remember last time, we did consider this one. We saw this first hindrance. It's really kind of where we got to. But we saw this first hindrance of this. They were hindered in their race because, number one, of their disobedience, all right? Look again at verse number seven. Verse number seven, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not, what's the next word? You should not obey the truth. Disobedience. They were not obeying the truth. This is going to be a hindrance to any believer's Christian walk and Christian race. And when it comes to an actual race, be reminded there are certain truths and certain rules, if you will, that we must follow in order to compete. We brought up this illustration last time. If you're going to run the hurdles, there are certain rules you have to follow to compete in that uh, hurdle race, right? Uh, you cannot knock over the hurdles uh, intentionally, whether by your foot or by your hand. You can't do that. If you do, you're disqualified. That's a rule. You can't run around the hurdles. That's what I would do. You know why? I'm vertically challenged. I can't jump over those hurdles, okay, without tripping and falling. But you can't run around them. Be a lot quicker. But if you do, you're disqualified. You can't run that race, okay? There are certain rules and certain truths you must obey and follow in order to compete and run the race. The same for us. The same for us. There are certain rules, certain truths that we must obey, and that is this. It's simply the Bible. The Word of God is given to us not just to read, not just to study, not just to teach and preach, but listen, primarily, number one, needs to be this way, is to obey. God has given us His Word in this race of life as believers to obey, to obey. So you got one or two choices when it comes to God's word and the Christian race. You can do it your way or God's way. If you run the Christian race your way, it's going to be like running on a treadmill. You've got a lot of activity. You're sweating. Man, it looks like you're doing something. But you ain't going nowhere, all right? Or you can do it God's way and move forward by the grace of God and do much for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to do it God's way. Therefore, we must, as believers, be obedient to the word of God. Again, James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we saw last time the hindrance of disobedience. Then I want to see this today, all right? Number two, I want to see this hindrance, the hindrance of doctrine. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Sometimes when people hear doctrine, they get a little nervous. Sometimes when they hear the word doctrine, it may seem a little taboo to them or it may seem a little dangerous or maybe it seems a little divisive and because when they hear that word, they, they think those things, divisive and whatnot, they become defensive. But listen, doctrine is a good thing. The doctrine in its most simple form means teaching or instruction. That's what it simply means. And it's good to learn, right? I got two yeses. All right, anybody else? Three, four, all over. All right, amen. It's good to learn. We should want to learn. We should want to grow in grace and knowledge, as the Bible says, grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's good to grow, good to learn. But how do you do that? How do you grow? How do you gain knowledge of Christ? How do you gain knowledge of the Lord? Well, you do so through doctrine. You do so through teaching. You do so through instruction. You do so through, again, doctrine. And Paul made this emphasis often when he was talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy, when he was writing to him. You can see it some 12 times in just two of those books that bear Timothy's name as Paul was writing to him. 
he talks and mentions and emphasizes doctrine. Let me just read a few of them to you, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writing to Timothy says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Take heed unto thyself, 1 Timothy 4, 16, and unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Again in 2 Timothy 3, 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, longsuffering, charity, patience. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. First, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Listen, understand something. Doctrine is a very good thing. Teaching the Bible, what the Bible instructs us to do, what the Bible teaches us to do is a good thing. Learning the principles of Scripture, the teachings of Scripture is a good thing. We must do so and never, listen, never be afraid of Bible doctrine. Never be afraid of the truth. But in the context of Galatians as this book as a whole, the doctrine that was really hindering the race to the Galatians was this doctrine, not Bible doctrine, but the false doctrine that was being infiltrated in the churches of Galatia. Again, Judaizers, they were adding works to grace. Judaizers were trying to get these Gentile Galatian believers to keep the law, to keep a set of rules, to keep a set of rituals in order to make them saved or get them some kind of grace and favor with God. That's what they were trying to do. And this doctrine that was false, wrong, was absolutely hindering their race and slowing them down. And really what it was doing is pushing them backwards. You did run well. Who did hinder you? Well, this false doctrine was doing. This false doctrine from the Judaizers were doing so. Again, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This persuasion, this doctrine, this false doctrine, it didn't come from God. It didn't come from Paul. Verse number 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. I only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but, but by love serve, serve one another. So Paul says here in verse number 9 especially, he makes reference to leaven. And he's not talking about the additive that you put into food, especially in order to make bread, all right? He's not, he's not writing some recipe here. No, he is basically making reference, I believe, to the false teaching of the Judaizers. He's saying, listen, this little doctrine, if you allow it into the fellowship of believers, if you allow this little false doctrine, a little leaven, it will corrupt the whole lump. It would mess it up. And it seems these guys were getting a little bit of a taste for this additive, and it would seem a few folks in the church were giving, even begin to give heed to the false teaching or at least entertaining another gospel. 
And if they continue to entertain the false teaching, if they continue to get a taste for this additive, it was going to be very dangerous for them personally, absolutely. But again, for the church collectively as well. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, understand here at Boiling Springs, we try very, very hard to guard against false doctrine. We just simply want to teach and preach and obey the Bible. We want to be Bible believers. Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we want. We'll be biblicists. We'll be Bible-believing Christians. That what we, that's what we ought to, ought to be. But with all the availability of technology today, there are all kinds of crazy teachings and crazy teachers out there at the end of our fingertips on our phone. All right. And they plaster themselves on Facebook, on YouTube, and all the other different avenues that you can watch and listen to. And some of them are very convincing, but listen, I don't care how convincing they are, it's still wrong if they don't preach the Bible, if they don't teach true Bible doctrine, all right? It's just as dangerous and just as wrong. After all, even Satan himself himself has transformed himself to an angel of light, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel, meaning that's no biggie. That's not a big surprise that they would have false apostles and false preachers and false teachers, false pastors out there. No marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. So church, listen. When it comes to the teaching and preaching that we hear on the internet and the such like TV or whatever, listen, you can't just take it all at face value. Rather, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to be like the Bereans in the Word of God and compare what you hear to the Word of God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 11, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, meaning in Berea, the Bereans, he began to teach and preach to them in the synagogue. But it says this, These are more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily where those things, uh, where those things were so. Those things that Paul preached were actually in the Bible. That's what they did. They compared Paul's preaching to the scriptures to see if it's true or not. That's why the Bereans, as the Bible says, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, or really those in other, other areas of the world as well. These are other churches, even more noble than we could say, than the Galatians. Why? They searched the scripture daily to see if those things were so. So understand, when you see preaching, teaching on the internet, TV, whatever, make sure it's right. How do you do that? You compare it to the doctrine of the Bible. Okay. So what was hindering these guys? Disobedience was a big hindrance. I'll tell you that. Uh, this false doctrine was a big hindrance. Why? You did run well. But who did hinder you? Disobedience, doctrine, this one. Division. Division was beginning to hinder these believers. And division amongst believers is a terrible, terrible thing. And honestly, as your pastor, I'm going to bear my heart with you. This terrifies me. I would never want to be a part of it, nor do I want to be, uh, be amongst it at all. I would rather die as to have that happen or be, the, be a part of it. So I want to keep this verse in mind when I think of, of division, and especially as a believer. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Peace. It's a wonderful thing. Unity is a wonderful thing among believers and in church. Understand, that does not mean we have to say we're yes men or yes women and everything. No, no, no. We can disagree graciously. We can be brethren without being twins. All right? We can. Uh, we, we are brethren. All right? We're family. But that don't make us twins. All right? It's okay to disagree, but do so graciously. For even in that disagreement, we can still keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But that's not what the devil wants. He didn't want that at all. He would rather destroy that bond of peace. He, he's the, he wants the antithesis of peace. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to cause confusion, chaos, and carnage. He wants to hinder, interfere, and cause a great stumbling block in front of you. And he wants to stop you as believer, and he wants to stop all churches from moving forward. He wants to hinder you. You know how he does it? Division. Division. He will try his dead level best to divide and conquer. You know, I find it interesting that when uh, Satan attacks, most of the time we think he attacks when we're at our lowest. And it's true, he does, but uh, not as often, I don't believe. Not as often. You see, when we're deflated, discouraged, and depressed, you're already defeated. (laughs) So why does he have to poke at you even more? You see, I think he reserves his attacks, if you will, or sends his minions to attack at those times when there's victory. Why? Because I believe after great victory, there is great unity. Oh, absolutely there is. I guarantee you on Monday, after Georgia won, there was no division on that red and black side of the field. They were jumping up and down, hollering, hooting, just... Happy as a lark, right? They might have had a fight in the locker room before the game, but afterwards they're like, oh, what fight? You know, we won. It don't matter. On the other side, bless their hearts, all right? But anyway, (laughs) but when there's great victory, there's also going to be great unity. You can see that principle in Scripture. You can see it in the book of Joshua. Even after great victory over the walls of Jericho, we know what happened. Just the next battle over was the defeat of Ai. Now, Ai was a much smaller city, but they, and it shouldn't have been a loss whatsoever. But they suffered defeat. Why? Because of the sin of Achan. Achan gave in to the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eyes, and the pride, uh, pride of life. But he was found out. And it caused a division among the people. And it caused them to defeat. Which was the only defeat, by the way, that I believe, I think is recorded for us at least in, in Joshua as a conquest of, of, of Canaan. But why did they suffer defeat? Why was there attack on them? Because there was division in the camp. Even you can see in King David, uh, we know that uh, about King David's sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. But do you know what happened in 2 Samuel chapter number 10? In just the verses previous to, to that, we see a great victory with King David and the armies of Israel. And it's such a great victory that it caused even the enemies of Israel, the Bible says, even the enemies of Israel to make peace with Israel. They were like, we don't want no more of Israel, all right? We're going to have a peace treaty with them forever because they have whooped everybody. Great victories. But what happened? A great attack 
from the king. And it caused great division. But why does it seem that the devil likes to attack after great victories? Well, again, I don't have all the answers. But it could be that he likes to attack then because after victory there is great unity. And when there's great unity, there's great momentum. And when there's great unity and great momentum, listen, the church of a living God moves forward for the glory of God. And guess who hates that? Who did hinder you? Who did hinder you? You did run well. Who did hinder you? Guess who hates it? The devil. Guess what he wants to try to, try to cause? Division. So understand, he wants to hinder us. He wants to stop momentum that we have. He wants to cause division. But I want to encourage you, don't you dare let that happen. Don't you dare let Satan win. Rather do this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 again. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love this word endeavoring. I love it. Here it means to, to go to great efforts to. To exert one's self. To leave it all on the field. That's what endeavor means. To exert yourself. So no doubt the devil, listen, he wants to divide, wanted to divide this Galatian, these Galatian churches because they had great momentum moving forward. Many people being saved in this area of the world and Gentile world. He hated it. But he tried to hinder them. How? Well, dividing them. And then as this was going on, as they were disobeying the word, as, uh, as uh, what was my second point? Someone tell me who's taking notes. I just forgot it. Doctrine, thank you. Uh, disobeying the word as they were giving in the false doctrine and then division, here's what was happening. Number four, and lastly, they were devouring one another. Devouring one another. Look at, again at, at verse number, um, well, let's just get down to verse 15, all right? Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you should not, uh, that, I'm sorry, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So it would seem that these Galatian believers, while facing opposition from without, from the Judaizers, from Satan, were also facing some opposition from within as well. It would seem as they were becoming divided over the matter of to keep the law or not to keep the law, right? Over being divided over that, they were doing this. Number one, they were abiding one another. In verse number 15, biting one another. Do you mean, pastor, that they were actually biting one another like a toddler, get mad at another toddler for taking their building block, go over and bite them? <laughs> no, not exactly. Literally, although it was just as childish. They were biting one another, meaning this. They were wounding one another, hurting each other. Just as if someone bit you physically, it wouldn't be deadly, but it sure would hurt. They were hurting each other, wounding each, each other by possibly their words, by their deeds, or lack thereof. And I kind of get that idea because of verse, uh, verse number um, 13. Yes, verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, here it is, love, serve one another. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. He's saying, look, you want to keep the law? Keep this one. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Maybe they weren't doing that. The serving one another, loving one another was not as evident at this moment because of, well, you know, I think I'm going to follow the Judaizers. Are you crazy, man? We've got to follow Paul. I don't know about that. And then the division ensued. 
Then the words and the harsh words and the biting one another, wounding one another. And if you continue doing that, here's what's going to happen. Number two, you devour one another. Now, this word devour here, it gives off a meaning of consuming by eating. Like a bird, uh, like you see those uh, nasty, horrendous, ugly looking, I'm sure they stink, but those old nasty buzzards, turkey buzzards, you know what I'm talking about? They eat roadkill. But you know how they eat roadkill? Not one bite, but peck after peck, bite after bite. Here comes a car. They move for five seconds, come back down. Another bite. Here comes a truck. We really, I try to hit those stinking things. I really do. I might dodge a rabbit, but I'm going straight into the ditch after those, all right? But listen, they, they, car comes by. They fly away. Come back and peck. Come back and bite. Come back and peck. Come back and bite. And eventually, guess what happens? They devour that carcass. So you bite one another, eventually you want to devour one another over time. Do you know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's right. Takes a long time. But you can do it. You can do it. That's the picture he's showing us. So you bite one another, eventually you devour one another, and then you see this in verse 15. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Again, consume means to use up. Uh, it, means, it means to expend to where there's nothing left. Again, that's the end result of biting and devouring. It's just nothing there. That's what happens. And it begin to happen. It seems to begin to happen here in the churches of Galatia. And uh, if this is a life that is continually lived to bite and devour, that's what they're going to get. Where there's left Nothing. If there's fighting amongst themselves and fighting amongst ourselves, listen, that kind of fighting in no way is going to combat error that was creeping in. But bite after bite, they began to devour one another. And listen, as I think of this, and I try to, I try to paint this picture, at least in my mind, it's, it's absolutely horrible. It really is. It really is. But this is beginning to take place in the church of Galatia. And sadly, it does take place in our lives today as well. Sometimes it can take place in our churches as well. But understand, it begins because of little disobedience to the word of God. Which was leading them, and these believers here in Galatia, leading them to accept the false doctrine, which was beginning to cause division. And those individuals, as they were divided, began to bite and devour one another. And if, if this continued on, these churches would be consumed, whereas nothing left. And guess what happens? You did run well. Who did hinder you? That's what the devil wants. He wants to hinder. Listen, the devil, he's very patient. He's very, anybody here patient? Yeah, me neither. All right? That is not my spiritual gift. We're going to be looking at spiritual gifts eventually on, on Sunday night. No, that ain't mine. All right? But he's very patient. He's a, he's a lion just walking about, seeking who may devour. Right? He's patient, just walking and waiting and Seize opportunity. Don't let him in. Don't let him have any, any opportunity in your life whatsoever to hinder, to hinder you. But how do you stop it? As I'm looking at these verses and I'm looking at these 
churches in Galatia and, and understanding that this is beginning to happen. Maybe it's very minuscule. I mean, Paul did say a little leaven, right? Maybe all these things just very minuscule and it wasn't the overall big picture. It's just tiny. But maybe it's beginning to happen, but how do you stop it, right? If you, if you, have, if you have, let's just say you have a little, a little cancer in your body, and the doctors are like, ah, it's no big deal. Listen, I want to say, get it out, kill it now, right? I don't want it in there. Maybe there's just a little bit going on. How do you stop that? I'm glad you asked, because we'll see that next Wednesday, all right? But I'll give you a preview so you can chew on it for next Wednesday. Look at verse 16. This I say then, meaning all this is going on, you guys are biting, devouring, consuming one another. Hey, cut it out. This is what I'm going to tell you. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He goes on to talk about how the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. begins to talk about the works of the flesh, the works of the spirit, fruit of the spirit rather. So we'll talk about those things. But that settles it all. You filled with the Holy Ghost of God, walking in the Spirit, I guarantee you, all these hindrances ain't going to happen. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill 